0: Live from Pacific Junction Hotel, Girth Radio in session.
1: Sure. All right. Here we go. Welcome to episode six of the program. My name is Kareem Kanji. Thanks for joining me uh, today in uh, Girth Radio Studios here at Pacific Junction Hotel in Toronto. Today, our guest is interested in new technology, online video, playing the cello, nude painting, and she's also my first author. Please welcome to the Welcome Studios founder of our company, Hesse Jones.
0: Hello. How are you doing? Good. I can't believe you put the nude painting thing in it there. It says
1: that this is one of your interests.
0: I do like nude paintings. I like I like painting nudes.
1: Actually. You like? Okay. So let's now w- w- that's <laughs> where we're gonna start. Okay. <laughs> with this, so you like nude paintings and you like painting nudes. And you like painting in the nude?
0: No. No. Okay. Not the third. So so clarify that. I used to be an artist. I used to be an artist. Yeah. When I was younger, I had a natural tendency to be able to draw. So I could do everything from landscape to to free art form, um, caricatures. And But I had to go to business school because that was the only way that my mom thought I could make money. I couldn't get into art. But I pursued my art mm-hmm. as a minor in uh, university. And uh, one of those things was the introduction to nude painting. And so I, I loved it. I was introduced to amazing people and uh being able to to do free form nude painting was amazing i wasn't in the nude they were L- okay <laughs>
1: <laughs> what was it that you liked about like w- w- that's the one thing that that i that is there in your bio like there's no you like painting other things it's like nude painting like what was it about that
0: it's the human human form i okay. think in, if, if anything else it's it's just Beautiful, and it's it's natural. It, it's not being a model. It's it's people that had, you know, natural bodies that had, you know, normal things that were wrong with it. I wouldn't even say wrong with it. I, yeah. Everybody has like you know, uh, saggy arms or like um, longer hair, a long neck, and you know, a bit of a belly. Uh, you know. Um, knocky thighs you know that kind of thing but it made it really interesting to draw those types of forms other than just a normal model that actually had an amazing body and i love that
1: or like post production a touched up body
0: oh yeah forget that i could never draw i could never draw a model it it would be so boring
1: so have you continued to spend time doing that sort of stuff like painting whether it's nudes or any other things
0: I haven't lately. Mm-hmm. I probably stopped it maybe 10 years ago, partly because of time. Uh the last one I did draw was myself. Because no if You
1: did a I, nude painting of yourself?
0: Yes. I had So you
1: were in the nude?
0: Well, yes. <laughs> I was trying to do a rendition of Demi Moore's Vanity Fair cover. Okay. When she was pregnant. Yeah, and yeah. so I was re- pregnant with my first daughter. Yeah. My with my daughter. Uh, back in 1999. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted to d- draw a pregnant form, um, but nobody would really volunteer for me. So I had my husband take pictures of me in the nude. Ah. And then I, I took those pictures, and I created uh, pointillism. That, what that does that mean? Pointillism is the art form that has thousands and thousands of tiny dots. And then so I did the f- the the artwork, in pencil.
1: So instead of coloring it in, you're using dots? Dots. Heavy dots, light dots? Yes, to, ah. to depict shadow. Interesting. And, and how s- come we've never seen this? Like, we've been friends for a while.
0: Because you've never been in my bedroom, and it's above my bed.
1: okay.
0: <laughs> so it's... <laughs> so, exactly. So it's... And it's not exactly something... Like, I have nudes all over my house. I have about four nude paintings, and... Um, it's it's not something my mom likes I gave no. it to her for her, her anniversary and she A gave nude it right painting back. of yourself I just a nude painting of okay. f- of a woman yeah and no she didn't like it <laughs> it w- it was it was a <laughs> bit too much for her so she gave it back
1: what do <laughs> your kids think of this
0: they think it's odd but yeah. but I, but I they, they get used to it because I mean they don't
1: know anything else right it's like okay this is normal in our house it's we not have strange. Nude,
0: yeah but I mean for the most part there is one nude painting in the in the living room but then i leave the other two upstairs Mm -hmm. so i don't want to freak everybody out you know (laughs) (laughs) trying to keep it clean for the most part especially when young uh teenage boys come over it
1: took me getting you in the studio to find the stuff out about you yeah there you go otherwise it's (laughs) hidden down in your bio
0: i will take pictures and send it to you um by text
1: yes we'll need to put it up on our uh on the website or not. I don't know. Up to you.
0: <laughs> I'm totally okay with it.
1: Awesome. Um, and, and I guess that delves quick, delves nicely into, you know, we're, we're recording this on Pride Weekend. Um, right? you know, I, I walked, actually, my, my full-time gig, the one that pays the bills, is up at uh, Buller Church. So walk straight down Church uh, to come here. And it was uh, fascinating. You know, all the stuff that's around and just a lot of happy people. Well, especially
0: today, w- with the, yes, with the uh, announcement that the Supreme Court have basically said that same-sex marriages well, so we've a had right. that,
1: we've had that in Canada.
0: We have. But it's nice to see that a country like the u s mm-hmm. is recognizing it, considering that there are pockets of, I guess, large l- religious actions that 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 are against it but for the most yeah. part you know uh, considering it's 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 very much state by state decision mm-hmm. uh for the most part it's a very good um, move forward for the united states yeah so
1: awesome and it's also the first day that your kids are on summer break <laughs> summer holiday uh, Have they? yes
0: d- that's right i, I know you right. work
1: from home so have they driven you crazy yet
0: not yet not yet I've had uh, six teenagers um, at my house yesterday. But the nice thing is that they actually don't come over until they all wake up. So they all sleep until noon and then they come over and then drive me nuts until probably 10 o'clock at night.
1: Now, when does that start? Because so my son is nine when he has to go to school. He's tired, too tired to wake up. But this morning he's wide awake. He's the first one up. And you know, obviously, he goes after the iPad. He goes after the the the, the uh, Nintendo Wii. You know, so at what age do they sleep in until noon? How long do I have to wait?
0: Uh, so Nathan is turn. He just turned thirteen. Okay. And he's always late for school lately. I think once they get into their growth spurt, yeah, probably twelve, they will start sleeping longer and you'll start seeing it especially when they start getting whiskers and their voice starts changing <laughs> and they start getting taller All that's right. when they need their sleep and god forbid they can't get up at eight o'clock it's like you know they're dead to the world so
1: wow so you went to school for business i did yeah where did you go to school
0: wilford laurier in waterloo
1: okay yeah, yeah. um and so was fine arts the minor Fine either? arts
0: was, I wouldn't, I considered it a minor just because I, I, I got about eight credits against it, but oh, okay. it wasn't, it wasn't considered a minor. Oh, was okay, enough, okay. But that was the main thing that I took that was off business mm-hmm. uh, subjects.
1: So you majored in business? Yes. Um, w- what was, what was next? Like what happened after that?
0: What was next? The recession. 1990. Got out. Got out went into advertising, pursued advertising, direct marketing, uh, landed in the company probably three or four months after graduation. Uh Uh, Same company was selling conferences and seminars, and within three months, you know, got laid off, and then was, was... uh, fortunate to land in un- another division of the same company. Oh, okay. Then got laid off again four months later, and then had to find a job somewhere else. I think I ended up going to the Girl Guides of Canada, and
1: I, I remember sec- you telling me that.
0: Yeah, I secured a position in event planning for two and a half years, which
1: at the Girl Guides.
0: At the Girl Guides to plan for a major event that was coming to Canada, and that helped me ride through the recession.
1: Interesting. So you started off doing event planning for a few years. It sounds like, yes. And recently, you've you've continued to almost do that, haven't you? Like you, I. What was the last one you did? A couple of years ago, S- social mix. Yeah, I.
0: It's it's part it's part and parcel of what I can do. Okay. By no means is it something I'd love to do, but I've always wanted to be in advertising. So it was the. Once I did the event planning, I continued to pursue advertising. And shortly after that, after the the, the gig at Girl Guides, mm-hmm. I landed at Ogilvy. Um, okay. Did that for a while. And then... Um, what were you doing at Ogilvy? I was a, an associate account executive. So I worked at Glaxo Welcome. For Glaxo Welcome, I did Ronald McDonald. I worked on mainly pharmaceutical accounts.
1: Ronald McDonald, pharmaceutical <laughs> and, and pharmacy
0: okay that was one of the I'm accounts I worked kidding. on yes exactly um, Kind of so wait,
1: let's take a step back what was it about advertising so this is back in, we won't say it when it was but in the 90s uh, you were doing advertising yes what was it about advertising like what drove you to that what attracted you to advertising
0: I've always wanted to do it ever since I was even in high school the creative side of advertising was something that always you know um, interested me um, making it was at the time making commercials, doing something really cool, like just just being part of that whole scene. I said, you know, imagine being in that type of culture where you're creating really amazing stuff, not really just sitting behind a desk, but actually trying to to figure out what how to sell that can of pop. I said that would be really cool, but never really understanding what 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 went um, behind that. Um, But it was always a passion of mine. And then so when I took marketing in university, um, I was driven more towards the the data side. And while it was still very much in the advertising space, this was more attributable or database type marketing that that got me more interested. Mm. So I pursued that side of it when I when I left.
1: And do you think it was sort of your passion on in, in arts that you said okay how do i figure out maybe it was i don't know if it was subconscious or conscious where you said how can i figure out how to tie in what i really like doing with you know what my parents want me to do in business
0: i think that was a lot yeah that was that played a big role because i've always loved to draw Mm -hmm. but i know that i needed to be pragmatic about where my life was going and so you're right it was a good way to kind of marry the two the creative side of me as well as the business side
1: interesting ogilvy what comes next after ogilvy i got here rap collins rap collins i've never heard of rap collins rap collins are they still around
0: um i think if they are they i think they are still
1: doing advertising
0: they're still doing advertising. Yeah. They're still, they were still very much in the direct mail side. So, a big, Interesting. big company. Um, we ran the first Air Mouse program through Rap Collins. Mm-hmm. Um, my other clients were UPS. We also uh, developed the SO Extra card program, loyalty program through Rap through Collins. And uh, we started developing more loyalty and digital uh, programs uh, for banks through RapCollins, even before, I guess, website creation became hot. So,
1: loyalty is a very interesting thing, and it's it seems you know that's when it comes to. I know you do a, a, a lot of work now, and we'll we'll come to that in a bit uh, in social media. Um, you know, and, and brands, you know, small, medium, large, are, are always interested in, how, you know, how do we continue to engage our fan base or people that, um, you know, are our um, redfish sort of thing. Um, you know, and loyalty is a very big part of that, you know, to keep the consumer coming back to you. Um, what has changed or has anything changed in terms of how companies are implementing and executing loyalty programs with, you know, now, you know, moving from before there were interactive websites to websites to social media to now mobile marketing, what sort of changed?
0: The the main thing that's changed is that the medium, the mediums have changed. And so way back when, when you understood your customer and there was only really one way to, to, to talk to your customer, it was either direct mail or through email when that came about. Now it's a combination of understanding where your customer is on mobile, where they where they are on social media, and where they are on all these other mediums. So now you're you're trying to find and and this is a funny thing these days is that let's say Twitter or Facebook can have a combination of people that aren't your customers and people that are. So the very mediums that we've always divided as acquisition versus retention are now all together. And hmm. we are were able to distinguish how many of your Twitter followers are actually your customers and how many are not? And where before it was easily distinguishable by a bot email list versus a retention email list. It's it's now a little bit more convoluted.
1: Yeah, because all, all these different channels are That's now right. in play.
0: That's right. So so departments, so PR, marketing, acquisition, retention, they kind of have to play in the same because the always-on customer is in multiple channels at multiple times. Mm -hmm. And so you don't know what the propensity of one customer is towards mobile, towards Twitter, towards email until you actually start testing out all of them in combination.
1: I'm curious, from your perspective, if there's anyone who's doing this correctly, in your opinion, or who's doing it in a very beautiful way.
0: I, don't, I haven't seen, I haven't seen, I guess you have to be, if you're a bank, you could be doing it very well because they, they have the ability to understand customers by value. Hmm. They understand transactional value. They understand how much they, how much debt they have. The only thing that they don't have is the understanding of a customer based on behavior on Twitter, Facebook, etc. There are systems out there that allow you to aggregate all that information, so that you so that it all comes together into one central database. Um, I think everybody's trying, but it's a, it's a harrowing yeah. task because you literally have to reinvent some of the processes to, to be able to do it right. So it's it's not it's not something that can happen overnight. It, yeah. it probably will take a couple of years. I
1: think our friend that we met coming in here was yes was trying to do that Carrie morrison yes. who's been a guest yes. on this program
0: and he he will he has the holy grail as long as companies are willing to take the the data that he has and marry it with mm-hmm. their with their information um that is the gold at the end of the rainbow
1: that's very interesting so you're like on the cutting edge here you know doing lo- loyalty programs you know so so extra and then the air miles program as well um you moved on to banking then?
0: I did. Yeah. I moved on to banking because I had a daughter and I didn't want to. <laughs> <laughs> and, and agency life, yeah. as you know it, is long hours. long hours, long weekends. And I needed some semblance of uh, stability and controlled work hours, which actually never came to fruition. Even at the bank? Even at the bank.
1: They might only be open, you know, from 9 to 4, but... <laughs> not the back uh, office. Not the back <laughs> <laughs> office. The or bank. these days, what is it, TD that's open seven days a week? That's right. That's phenomenal.
0: Well, everything everything is changing because the customer's in charge, right? So yeah. you have to acquiesce to the demands of the customer, and so so everything has to move at the same pace, yeah. right?
1: Or even now, you've got you know we can do your online banking twenty four
0: seven. You know, so that's right.
1: It's uh it's interesting. How was uh how did you enjoy the bank?
0: I didn't mind it because I was actually put into a department that was, we called ourselves Internet Services, and it was a very unique name, but what allowed us to do is uh, we were a lab, yeah, more like an incubator, to, to figure out how to do the stuff that we we're doing already through the web. So, acquire, move from, let's say, acquiring customers through direct mail to and bring them on to the web how do we create those processes and transfer them online how do we do the same with retention and instead of selling them services through the mail can we link them to places on our website and the thing is is that nobody's ever done that before and this is like circa 2000 so Hmm. we had to create all those placement placements on um, the website in order to to properly properly execute it. And not only that, figure out how to, to separate out the organic traffic from the campaign traffic. So. Interesting. And that these days it's like, yeah, no big now deal. Now you can do it. Now you can do it, no yeah. big deal. Promo yes. codes, dynamic promo codes. Back then it was like, how do we, how, what if it changes? What if that person came in through this channel? We'd have to change that code. How can we dynamically do that? Like all that stuff was like so new, right? Mm-hmm. But we were able to do it. But the, the the funny thing with banks is that at the end of the day, um, as forward thinking as they were, they're also very slow to comply because the internet at that time also delivered a lot of fraud accounts mm-hmm. and high risk accounts, and so the internet services group became more vulnerable to to producing uh, loan losses and so they put a halt in a lot of our projects because they they wanted to mitigate the risk and so i moved from that bank to another bank to see if i could research the same type of innovation that i started at the at the previous one and that's when we were caught i guess as that bank um, investing in a company called Enron, and so we ah. were so we were in SOX compliance for a whole year and they, they stalled every single program until we could we, we could actually um, make sure that whatever happened during that process would never happen again
1: interesting, so it seems that like things have changed things changed for you you were you're, you're sort of more on the creative side you know how do we sell that pop or whatever the product mm-hmm. is? To developing marketing programs and sort of back office mm-hmm. sort of stuff. What was that? Was that change sort of, oh, I can't believe this is what I'm doing. Or, or was it a very conscious effort uh, on your part to just go somewhere?
0: Um, it's, it's funny because I never, uh, and I, I w- I'll say this to people, I, I, I failed math <laughs> first year university. Like I'm, I'm not really good in math, mm-hmm. but I was good in statistics, which is a little bit different. And uh, the one thing I loved doing was analyzing. And so when I got into direct and database marketing, the idea of actually seeing the data and understanding how to look at it in different ways and, and really pulling out specific insights that would help you Um, understand how a program could be better was fascinating to me Hmm. and so it it actually dovetailed more when I went into banking because with banking I was responsible for making sure that okay I was doing internet acquisition I had to make sure that I could map out who where those customers came from what channel and and you know what was her lifetime value like over the course of time what was the return on investment based on banking based on the banking initiatives and that was that's what really drove me um over time it did evolve because of my because it became less about um the creative more about the intelligence of the the information that that was out there that could help me target better i left the creative to the people that could do it very well
1: okay um I I talked a bit about at the beginning, actually when I introduced you, um, that you play the cello. Yes. I know we were kind of going sideways here. Um, When did that happen? Is that that a recent thing?
0: I started the cello in 2005. Okay. It was exactly probably two weeks before I started at Yahoo, after I left the second bank because of the whole Enron scandal. Yeah. Um, I started at Yahoo, and I wanted to – um, create a clean slate. and so I w- That's 10 years ago. Yes. So
1: you quit drawing nudes, you start playing <laughs> the cello, <laughs> and you go work at Yahoo.
0: Yes. And my daughter was, at the time, six years old. And wow. I wanted her to play an instrument like I did when I was young. I, star- I did play the piano when I was younger, but I quit um, after six or seven years. Okay. I wanted to get back into it, but I wanted to do it in a way that allowed my daughter and I to bond. So, w- we, oh. we played the cello together. Oh, nice. Um, unfortunately, she quit two, <laughs> year <laughs> two years later.
1: But you're still continuing. Yes. Wow. Yes. What is it that you like about playing the cello? What is it that draws you to that?
0: Um, I think the first thing I promised myself yeah. was that because I I quit playing the piano after six, seven years. Yeah. Um, I really loved it. I just wasn't really good at it. I promised myself that if I was going to do this, I wasn't going to quit. I was going to keep at it no matter how, how hard it was, and it continues to be hard. I mean, it's not something that I do that that's that's you know sounds great every single time. I yeah. work hard to make it sound good, um, and and going up, g- trying to, to practice up until the time that I have to do the recital freaks me out every single time i have panic attacks but i do it because i'm trying to prove to myself that i can do it and that i can get through it it's my biggest fear and yet um, Well, you've
1: been doing it for ten years now
0: but playing in front of people is very different Ah. speaking in front of people i have no problem but playing in front of people i have no idea why but it freaks me out every single time and every kid that can play a piano or violin or any instrument yeah. in front of anybody, and and not have to go through the attacks that I do, and they sound amazing. I worship them. I wish I could be like that, you know. And I'm an adult, <laughs> so <laughs> I don't understand what's going on. I think I I need a psychologist.
1: Wow. So, so you talked. So you went to. You know, I, l- I want to talk more about this cello stuff. This, you know, music, and it's it's very interesting because I find a lot of people. A lot of successful people sort of have a creative outlet, Um, you know, whether that is in the work that they do or something that's in their spare time. Um, And I'm very curious, you know, I I know you started it to to bond with your daughter, uh, but then you also promised that, you know, no matter what, this is not something that you drop. Um, Have you found that there's a relationship between the type of work that you do, and not, you know, not the the tactical stuff that you do but you know you as a professional and you as a creative person you know whether that is uh on the on, on the drawing side the or, or, or the musical side there's
0: there's always that part of me i think that the one thing that 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 i continue to keep doing is learning Hmm. And I mean, even in my old age, everything that I do, I'm, I'm trying to learn a new piece of information all the time. And that's part of the reason why, you know, I started writing as well. I never even knew I was a good writer. I mean, if you if you ask, ask my, you know, first year university English teacher, she said she'd tell you that I had grammatical errors all over the place. But I found my voice, and I continue to use that as my other creative outlet. So, um, And it's, it's the whole thing about the cello is, is, is as much about discipline as it is about learning. And it is also, I would hope, at, at some point in time, my, my retirement package, <laughs> where I could probably play on the streets of Toronto and jam with somebody else who's also playing, <laughs> and then make a couple of bucks on the side. Nice. I mean, it would be fun, you know, sure. just to be able to do it. Just right? to do it,
1: not have to worry about money.
0: Right, exactly.
1: Yeah. Interesting. And your daughter, your son, are they sort of this very similar, to, you know, in terms of, you know, what do they do in their spare time? Outs- outside of sleeping late and well, maybe playing video games. <laughs>
0: oh, my God. My, my son is not a TV watcher, and, and Madeline is. Madeline is totally a couch potato. She's like my dad. But Nathan is all about the iPad, so everything that he consumes from a content perspective is all on YouTube. He doesn't read a thing, which bothers me, and Mm -hmm. at some point in time, I'm going to have to fix that. Um, But he is an active soccer player. I think both of them are. Um, My daughter is also a figure skater, and my son's a hockey player but the one thing i will say is that my daughter has this amazing personality she could be a stand up comic if she wanted to mm-hmm. um you ask her what she wants to be when she grows up. She said, "I just want to be famous," and she goes, "She goes, and if I'm not, I'll be a writer just like you." <laughs> so she says, "You're banking
1: that, on the famous thing," I'm guessing. Well, right? I have no
0: idea what that means. Um, I said, "Internet famous," so you got to do a Sean Kingston type thing on YouTube because you can't sing. But she is a she is a great comedian. Um, and Nathan, I just hope at some point in time will will be smart enough to go to university. Oh, he will. I know he will. <laughs> I just want to make sure that he, he, he does enough reading to get
1: there. Interesting. Um you know I'm I'm the same way now, I find. I find I need to I need to watch my Orange is the New Black. I need to watch my Archer. I, I need to, to catch up on the on the on the T V shows, on my comedians and coffee. Comedians and cars tra- comedians having coffee and cars. Whatever that is. Mm-hmm. That Seinfeld show. So um, no, I, I can get that. I totally understand that.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm a binge watcher. Yeah. And that's the only time I will watch shows like House of Cars I I watch that in three days, um, and that's the only way that I'll get the, my shows in. Um, otherwise, it, I don't don't wait for the next episode, le- the next week or whatever. It's like three or four at once. I've had my fill. Now I can work <laughs> again. Right. Wow. And that's it.
1: So let's let's get back to uh, to your your journey that has uh, led you to write a book and we'll get to the book. Um Yahoo um you started working there uh, a number of years ago. Now was was Yahoo just opening up their Toronto office back then or
0: They were at the time, do you remember when the bubble burst in nin- 99? Mhm. Um th- like any other internet company, they they immediately closed offices or they downsized a lot of their offices. So the Yahoo office was down to maybe six or less than 10 people. When they decided to resurge and they, they repositioned themselves closer to 2004, Uh, They reopened the office, um, partly because of the Rogers partnership with Yahoo. Mm. um, But a lot of the offices started opening up around the world as well. And our office, I was one, I think I was employee number 20-something. And we end up growing to over 150 or so by the time we end up getting the search team. So that, and that was within like a year and a half, two years.
1: And what was your role there?
0: in the beginning I, I led the marketing department so we didn't have there's two of us that started and then I hired a few more people um, to support the product groups mm-hmm. so we had music we had home page we had about 21 properties so the idea was to be able to hire enough marketing people to support all the, the Yahoo properties in Canada
1: basically sell to agencies to their clients here are the eyeballs that we get on our on our property.
0: Exactly. Our our job in marketing was to draw eyeballs. Mm-hmm. The sales team was responsible for selling the eyeballs. Ah. So we 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 made sure that we maximized impressions to the website. And uh, the more that we increased not only impressions and engagement, the more that uh, sales was able to do their job.
1: What sort of interesting things were you doing at Yahoo back then?
0: Oh, uh, we, we did some amazing stuff. I, I worked on answers launching answers in Canada, right? Nice. I love that. So we we did s- amazing things like launching the a giant brain in um what's it called? Times Square, right? Uh, we we uh, we we actually developed that site from scratch in Canada. We were able to grow the base to all, almost 500,000 users in Canada within uh, a couple of years. The funny thing is, is that it was it was hard. Imagine growing a community from scratch. And uh, our legal our legal manager was up in arms because we were doing everything wrong and trying to get people to – we started out with friends and family. Hey, everybody has a question on answers. Everybody answer and, uh, you know, bring all your friends and family and then we'll see if we can expand that out. That's how it started. And then by the time we reached critical mass at about even 1,000 or 2,000 people, that's when it exploded. And we started getting a lot more visibility in the market. It helped that the U.S. had already launched and that they're developing momentum. Um, but that was my first real taste of understanding community and how to grow it and how to actually develop uh, relationships through the platform.
1: What's w- w- like what specific things did you learn that, c- that continue to inform you today?
0: Well, the epiphany that I had specifically was the one day I was actually in the U- London in the UK with the Answers team, and we were developing out the strategy for launch. And what happened was that I got a, a an email from my mom, and she told me that my boss, who worked at CIBC, her daughter passed away. Now it was it was a poignant thing because um, when I worked at the bank. Um, this little girl was two, three years old. She had developed um, a rare form of cancer. And um, she was 10 years old when she finally passed away. And we had thought that she had licked it. Um, So I wanted to, I I don't know why I was like this, but I wanted to send something to, to my boss to tell her that I was thinking about her. And I remembered a poem that my mom had on her fridge. It was about a child predeceasing their parent and it was really beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't find the poem anywhere. And I asked my mom about it, she didn't know. And I asked my brother and sister. I was doing all this while I was in the UK. I was I was adamant that I needed to find that poem. Um, the funny thing is, is that I didn't know the author. I didn't know any of the words. I just knew the context. And so somebody said why don't you just ask answers? I said there's no way. I said it's like you know, asking Google, it needs keywords, it needs stuff. So I I put this long drawn out description on answers and I knew there wasn't a lot of users yet, but I thought, you know, why not? I, nothing else works. And and I asked them. I said, "Do you do you know of a poem that's about this? I don't know who the author is. I don't know the words." And I waited. And I waited. They said it, but it takes about less than six hours for someone to answer, but nobody answered. So I kind of gave up. But you know what? Nine days later, somebody answered. And they said, this is what you're looking for, I think. Let me know. And it was exactly the same thing. Wow. That I was looking for. And that's the thing. I didn't know her. And to be able to to get that thing um, out of someone who didn't even know you... But remember that at the time, you couldn't even put that stuff into Google. So community was what really drove that. And somebody cared enough to even, you know, find it. Or, or they, you know, just being able to find a needle in a haystack like that was phenomenal. And that's what changed me. And that's what made me more aware of the value of social media because of these connections.
1: That is an amazing story. That's really, really interesting. Um, what what did you, you know, you so you learned the value of community. And d- have you ever told that story before? I have. It's, yes, a, it's, it's actually it's in my book. It's of course I- it's in your book that I <laughs> have right in front of
0: you. <laughs> and you've read.
1: Yes. Yeah, so so w- as you're talking about the book. So the book is called Evolve. Marketing uh, is doomed. And uh, you've written here in red pen, I think. Marketing, uh, you know, as we know it, is doomed. Um we're gonna get to this book, but I just want to let people know that they can buy this at uh, any uh, bookshop online. Just I'm guessing A- just Amazon. <laughs> just Amazon, <laughs> right now. <laughs> All right, so go Amazon and, and uh, type in Hesse Jones or Evolve Marketing is Doomed, and they'll find it. Or Marketing, as we, know it, as we know it is doomed. Or or the ISBN number.
0: Or the Do you know the ISBN number? I have no clue. It's I at the It's at the back <laughs> of the book, buddy. <laughs> it's at the front. Oh, it's at the front. Yeah. Oh, and uh, I don't yes. think
1: anyone uses the ice bin.
0: Probably not. I have <laughs> to say, though, um, I give credit also to my co-author Daniel Newman. No,
1: he's not on the show, so we're not. Gonna
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, Daniel, <laughs> I'm just putting on record that I actually did give you uh, credit, even though Kareem didn't want you to have it. No, no, either. I'm not saying I didn't want you. It's <laughs> okay,
1: it's like advertising. <laughs> he's got to come more. Yeah,
0: you're right. God, you're I'm right. Just
1: kidding. I'm sure Daniel is a great guy.
0: He's a great guy, and he'll come into your show from Chicago, even. Awesome. Remotely. Yes. Perfect. Just ask. I'll,
1: I'll buy him a drink. Okay. Actually, I won't buy it. We'll just give it to him for free. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, um. Awesome. So, uh, I I don't know where to go with this, Hesse. Um. You know, this very profound story that you just told. Um. Did you did you know? So once that sort of happened to you. Um, is, is that when you started focusing on, like, I don't know, wh- wh- what year was this and was, was Facebook around? Was MySpace around? It, did you start to take the sort of lesson that you learned and, and how do you replicate it and, and duplicate it mm-hmm. uh, and, and help people and brands and companies sort of take advantage of this? What, what was the sort of your next step?
0: Well, I was at, when I was at Yahoo and this launched around the same time that Facebook came to Canada, I think Facebook came to Canada in 2006, right? So the one thing I started noticing, cause I was responsible for also the metrics of the site was that our traffic was okay. Most people were still going to mail, which was like the, the, the top volume, uh, time spent, mm-hmm. um, on the site and, and homepage was the second but one thing that I started realizing is that the engagement on the site started to wane. Over time, people would come, they check their mail. and instead of going to check out content in different parts of the site, they would slowly leave. And um, over time, I noticed that, you know the time spent went from, let's say, for example, th- three minutes. Per session mm-hmm. down to almost a minute. And so when I logged, when I started to look at the the the, the actual funnel activity, people were coming in in droves from this new thing called Facebook, ah. checking their mail and then leaving and going right back to Facebook. I thought that was really interesting. I brought it up to my boss and I said, hmm, I said, we're losing traffic. I said not in big numbers. I said, but our engagement numbers are down. People are coming. They're they're con they're consuming our content. They're checking their mail, but they're not staying long enough like they used to. And I said this is a problem. He goes, oh, I wouldn't worry about it. He goes, social networks will never be able to monetize Can themselves. Can we say this
1: guy's name? Can we out him here?
0: Do you want to out him? Yeah. What well, do you think he'll
1: listen? Uh, sure? Carrie uh, Monroe. Uh, Kelly. Carrie. Carrie Sincaps. Yes. Wow. Okay.
0: He probably doesn't remember it, but I did write it in the book. So now it's there for... <laughs> it's so there it's for in the book. So but I didn't sh- say his name, so oh. it's there for posterity. Oh, my... He, wa- he so was the, the GM of Canada at the time.
1: So I've interviewed Carrie. Oh, you have? Yeah. Okay. Before, when he was the head of Syncaps Canada. And when Syncaps closed, I threw those interviews back online and said, Hey, check this out. Um... That's very interesting. Where is he now? Do you know?
0: I think he's at Home Depot. uh Oh. I think he's the head of marketing at Home should Depot. Should we
1: talk to Home Depot?
0: Sh- you should talk.
1: I have no. I've no nothing against. He'll claim deniability. I'm sure he's a great guy. And. Yeah. I
0: did, and I didn't record it, so everything that that's in there is hearsay. Yes. Just so you know.
1: And uh, we're we're just telling stories. We have no clue about anyone. That's right.
0: <laughs> I'm lying, actually. Um.
1: <laughs> No, but that's very interesting. Um, So what happened next? Like, did traffic continue to drop? Did Yahoo start, you know, focusing more on on how to keep people there?
0: I didn't stay long enough to figure that out. I actually decided, I think the the, the hours were really long. And anybody who's worked at Yahoo or any of the big... I guess uh publishing houses or like the Googles of the World, etc. They everybody drinks the Kool-Aid. But at some point in time your steam just runs out. Mm-hmm. And I, I think for me it was just time to leave. And uh so I end up going to another startup company. Um, but this time because the budgets were very low, I actually was forced to use social media as a way to drive marketing traffic. And that was my first real taste of actually doing non conventional marketing because it was also synonymous with the time when the housing bubble blew up in 2008. And so there was a
1: housing bubble that blew up in Canada?
0: (laughs) Well, in the US, but it had spillover effects into Canada. Everyone's waiting
1: for the uh, Canadian housing bubble,
0: the Canadian condo bubble to burst. All bubbles, all bubbles, except in Pickering. We're still, we don't even have a bubble, we're still below the bubble radar. (laughs) So, I don't know, I don't know, but anyway, so that's and and so by the time I end up going to that startup, like I was fully immersed in social media because I had to, I had a budget that was almost like I think it was like 500,000. Per year, which t- for any marketer, they know that that is a very small number. And if you were to buy media with that, that would be gone. Like any respectable media buy to get awareness would Can be gone. Can you say gone. that again?
1: <laughs> and say that amount.
0: Which one? $500,000? Yeah. All
1: right.
0: $500,000 in one month. <gasps> awesome. <laughs> All right. Oh, what are you trying to no, make No, try- <laughs> I'm
1: not trying to make any point to anyone. Okay. Yes.
0: Okay. So I had to make that last. And so I had to find ways organically or through influencers or through blogs, through SEO, to build traffic to our site and at the same time drive users, which is very hard, which is very hard when the medium is still very nascent and it's unproven. And it was also at the time when Twitter launched. Mm. So using Twitter to To drive conversations but figuring out whether or not there's enough audience on Twitter to, to, to drive to blogs and content and then drive to a web- website. I mean, it was all very test and learn back then.
1: Did you ever just think of joining Twitter?
0: <laughs> sure, if they had me. But no, <laughs> I don't think they asked.
1: They didn't ask. And at myself.
0: the time, I think that they, they had enough employees. They already had seven, so they didn't need, it. <laughs> they didn't need eight.
1: So let, let's skip ahead. You and I met while uh, you were VP of social media. Yes. At uh, Do North Communications. That's right. Um, and you soon left to join a startup um, called Jugnu that was... Uh, for me was always kind of interesting and not interesting. And, wow. This is really interesting. Uh, in, in a Facebook Twitter way, it was more of, oh, that's interesting. And a sort of, I have no clue,
0: no clue what they did,
1: N- no clue who the owner was, even though, yeah, this is the owner. And then when you went to research the owners, like who the heck is this he guy? He was
0: like non-existent on social media.
1: Yeah. No, he was non-existent. I think, <laughs> you know, and unless you talk to the right people who said, Oh, that guy, that's interesting. Um, but you, you went to Jugnu, and, and that sort of, uh, you know, made a big splash. Um, but then, you know, just like Canada Day fireworks, it, w- it was beautiful for a while, and then it went out, and everyone kind of, you know, went on their own way. That's right. Um, but then at the same time, you helped to put together an event um, called Social Mix. That's Social right. Mix? Right. Social Mix. Um, and you had people like Gary Vaynerchuk, um come and speak. That's right. Um I think I was busy so I was unable to speak.
0: <laughs> That's right. You're at like the first one on my list. <laughs> and you and then you totally
1: kibosh the um invitation. How was <laughs> how was um how was that experience uh, in terms of running that event? Um I think you had about five, six hundred people yes. um that were there. You had at the time one of the top social media I don't want to say influencers, but experts. Right. Um, how was that for you? What was the learning experience there? What did you learn from that? What, what, we, you know, what was exciting about it?
0: It was a phenomenal experience. It was actually very scary because w- when we decided to do it, we literally had two and a half months to put together a conference and, and have 600 people agree to come to it. Um, so we made the decision in May to mm-hmm. do it and we were fast and furious about okay who are we going to have what is the context of this thing we needed to make jugnu for lack of, the, of a better term and I ha- really hate saying this but go viral um the funny thing about what we had done was we created a brand jugnu without people even knowing what the brand was just because we were so hot on social we were active we had some of the most amazing marketers on my team um, we were able to engage with some of the most um, daring influencers in the U.S. and Canada uh, uh, with respect to technology, like Jay Bear, y- Yuri Klepik, um, et cetera. Get a, get in front of um, a lot of major publications, and then with Social Mix, it was literally capitalizing on all that wave of excitement and and using the The influencers who are going to come to the event to actually drive more consideration. The funny thing is that nobody knew who Gary Vaynerchuk was in really? my co- in my company. Oh, in your company. In my company, it's a social media company, but no, nobody except the marketing department knew who Gary Vaynerchuk was. If you're in social media, yes, you do knew, know who Gary Vaynerchuk was is. But even in the m- in the agency community sometimes or even the marketing community, mm-hmm. nobody knew who he was. Yeah. Um, but we used we used mainly social media to drive that event. We didn't really buy media until probably two weeks um, before the event. Um, at that point, we just wanted to just kind of peak it a little bit. But for the most part, it was all, all our blogging where we introduced a lot of the speakers. We produced a lot of content around the event. We produced a lot of videos and uh you know that's what drove the momentum and seriously Mm -hmm. it scared me every single day to come to the office and not realizing that somebody hasn't signed up yet or like only two people came that day to, to sign up for the event um and i've never seen a conference run in that way before where we literally had from soup to nuts two and a half months to to create the whole event from scratch and and then drive drive consideration the nice thing is is that it happened at the end of July when nothing in Toronto was really going on, so we didn't have anything to compete with yeah and and so I think that really helped
1: that's awesome um and then you start you know obviously there's some other things that happen you obviously you're writing for Huffington post a digital journal well, what the tech
0: what's what's your tech what's
1: your tech? Yeah. Um, and you're writing about social media. You're writing about technology uh, and things of that nature. And then you decide to start up your own business. That's right. And we are now at our company. Not That's our right. company, <laughs> but A-R or ARC. Our company. Arc. It's
0: supposed to sound like our company. That was the point. Right. Okay. So it's, a, it's a, almost like a, a double entendre. So ARC like the arc of a Uh storyline and the fact that every business has a story to tell but the idea of our company the way it sounds was the premise when when we initially launched it was to give people an idea of the transformation that businesses were going through and that social business was going to be here whether or not whether you're prepared for it or not. And so our company talks about accountability at the edges. It talks about everybody having a stake in the company, not just, and, and remo- removing this hierarchy, which now exists, and it being more less about employees, managers, and um, owners, mm-hmm. but more about total ownership and embracing a culture um, based on, you know, shared values and technology. Unfortunately... Nobody understood that, nor <laughs> bought into it. <laughs> they said, "What? The that heck? was your hope." <laughs> that was my hope. So we had yeah. to digress a little bit.
1: Okay. So what what is what is the company? What are you guys focusing on? What's what's your your core values?
0: So we so what we realized was that you know people don't uh, don't understand. Th- they're still at a point where they don't understand the value of social. Everybody's talking about social ROI. Like, uh, is there a valid value to it? Um, And so what we decided to focus on was the value of the intelligence behind social media. And Mm. yes, all social media is here to stay. People will continue to create their own footprints by what they do online and mobile, whatever. And what that springs up is a well of data, a well of data that has so much information that marketers have at their disposable information that they they can use to properly target people something that we've never had before and so from my perspective the guesswork is over and if they knew how to read the data yeah they they would know how to sell more stuff to people more effectively without having to pay necessarily advertising dollars the way in in the masses that they do
1: so are you you guys have your own Uh, proprietary technology to sort of mine data or what's how are you sort of bridging that gap
0: so we we have partners in technology uh, technology big data technologies okay that that provide different types of insights and for us we're analysts and for the most part we can we can comb through a lot of those different technologies and surface the insights out of them
1: Mm -hmm. interesting um, and so, w- I don't know if there's any any wins you can talk about in terms of uh, interesting things that you've done for for companies and things of that nature.
0: Well, I can tell you one of our clients. Um, she's a well known well known, I guess, nutritionist lifestyle. Oprah. Uh, n- no, but you okay. know, <laughs> close. Um, but she's a fit. She, I I can't necessarily say her name. Sure, f- but no, she, fair enough. Fair um, enough. But she is a celebrity, and um, she's a fitness guru, and, um, you know, she's built organically a fan base of over 300,000 on Twitter, 200,000 on Facebook, and we use the insights to find out more about those communities and why they were engaged with her content, and... Um, we also took a look at the category that she was in mm-hmm. and and understood what are the things that people care about right now or what are their biggest pain points. And we used that information to, to determine what kind of content needed to be on her site for launch or who are the people that influence the message and can drive the message forward much p- more quickly than others. And so we develop influencer campaigns around that. And just from the data alone, um, the launch... The launch statistics uh, speak for themselves. Like we drove so much traffic to the website, um, we were able to garner over a few thousand subscriptions um, to her website within the first week. Um, I can't tell you like how how much that surprised me, considering we spent no money on media. We literally put messages through to her audience on Facebook and Twitter, and that was it.
1: Mm. Awesome. And then you've written a book. Like, I don't know how you find the time to play the cello, raise two kids, take them to uh, to figure skating and hockey practice, um, be a mom, be a wife, and then write a book. Right. So where did this idea of, of writing a book come from?
0: I have to say it wasn't my idea. Okay. It was Daniel Newman's idea. Okay. And He
1: searched you out.
0: Yeah, we we've known each other for a while on Facebook. Like we we retweeted each other's stuff. You know, we had ca- casual conversations, that kind of thing. But Daniel reached out to me and told me the premise of his. B- he had already written um, a few books himself, and he's a oh. young guy. He's 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 a millennial. But um, the one thing he wanted to do was it was. Right. He looks
1: older than you in this photo.
0: Yeah, he should because he doesn't use sunscreen. That's why <laughs> 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 I use sunscreen. I'm kidding. Um, he wanted to, to write a book. and w- Initially, we thought it was going to be a book about marketing ROI. As we started to evolve it, it started to become a book about our own principles and how we actually saw the world and the way we practice marketing. And how we've changed it the way, you know, we saw how, based on how technology was changing. And and we also were able to get some of our friends, who are also, I guess, esteemed um, social media people and marketers within this space, to actually provide their viewpoints on stuff like how content's evolving. And what's that, how is that changing advertising? Things like privacy, which is huge considering social media is, is actually getting out there. And it's uh, the Wild West when it comes to, you know, how much data should we actually have access to? And how do we balance between what we sell and what, what information should we have access to? And so mm. it, it pushes a lot of responsibility on the marketer as well. Yeah and And so now we have a we have to have some sort of conscience in how we we deal with people and deal with their information
1: so what's the th- what's sort of the solution then for that?
0: I think it's a balance i think I think the the whole NSA thing has surfaced a lot of information and and marketers and media have done that as well more media than anything else that where they've told people hey, did you know that they're doing this with your data? A lot of anonymous apps have come about. Mm. I, th- I thought that in a way that was the answer, but anonymity has kind of receded um, the progress of social media because now people, the, it reduces the amount of transparency that's in the channel. I think what has to happen is people have to be aware and responsible about what they put out in social, and if they are at any point scared or hindered about the use of their information, then they have to be themselves responsible about, about how they're actually presenting themselves. Hmm. And at the same time, the marketer has to be very discretionary about the information that they use and only ask or be allowed to use the information that's going to help them make a decision on how to sell more product. And that's it.
1: Interesting. So in terms of, you know, things like remarketing pixels, and things of that nature, you know, so I visit our car company's website. Um and then I leave and I and I go log on to Sports Illustrated, let's see, or The Score. Um and I just happen to see that same car company being advertised on there. And people go, "Whoa, that's creepy." Um uh, but at the same time, you know, we're telling, you know, we we understand that these um online magazines online publishers, the the only way they're able to make money, um, I shouldn't say the only, but one of the main ways that they're going to make money is through advertising. Um, You know, there's there's very successful companies that live on a subscription basis, uh, and that's one way of doing it. Uh, But people are sort of conditioned now that information is free, you know, and so if I want to know what's going on in the news or whatever, I want to be able to go and get it and not have to pay for it, you know. So advertising seems to be okay. That that's the only way we're going to be able to sell stuff. Um, but then you come to that, you know. Then people say, okay, I want I want advertising about products and services that relate to me. And so then when you give that to them, it's like, whoa, that's creepy. So I'm curious: y- is there a fine balance, or is there? This is the world that we've developed. Um, you want everything for free, so here is everything for free. But in order for you to continue to use Facebook for free, to continue to get your sports news for free, to be able to get your local news for free, to be able to get international news for free, uh, to be able to watch television for free or whatever this case may be, you're going to have to pay. And and you are going to have to pay with your eyeballs. Um, And so we're going to serve ads to you. um, And we're going to try to make these ads as contextual to you as possible. And so we're going to have to understand... Some information about you And the way we're going to do that Is we're going to anonymously track you And see what websites you go to To try to understand what products and services you like And then tell you about these products and services yes. um, is, is, is that the balance Or is there a better way
0: the nice thing about face, what Facebook is doing which I really like is the, the fact that you know the retargeting and all that stuff is it is done on an anonymous level. Everything is aggregated so we know that if you went here then the, the higher the ability, the higher the propensity that you will click on this. They are not making any of that information available to marketers. Mm-hmm. They they don't tell them the who. They tell them they tell them the interests or the demographic cluster that's that's responding to this stuff. Um, Dan Sullivan, who is one of the, he's the founder of Crowdly, which is a, a Facebook application that actually surfaces the most, I guess, the superfans of your Facebook page. He wrote, um, he, he was telling me something about the use of uh, artificial intelligence. And the amount of information that Facebook is is using to or trying to find out about users to to really get to the crux of their behavior and so when you talk about this balance it's it's you know the the demise between context and creepy right yes relevance but how far are you willing to go Mm -hmm. Um, a friend of mine Frequence different sites, yes. right? And uh, the t- retargeting happens. Is this a true story? Yes, this oh, is a, rea- okay. t- a true story, but I'm not going to say her name. And so what happens is that it does get creepy when, because Facebook knows that 90% of the people that actually go to their site will not log off. So you're. That's so, true. Which is the reason they can retarget you, right? Yeah. So you can go anywhere elsewhere on the web. When you come back to Facebook, of course you'll get a relevant ad based on something you've seen before. Yeah, I, I do that every time I go to Amazon to see how our book is doing. I always <laughs> get popped an ad, oh, by Hesse and uh, Daniel's uh, awesome. Evolve. But um, anyway, so she'll, she'll go to, let's say, a dating site. Mm-hmm. And there's a specific type of individual she's looking for. Does that individual profile... Not necessarily a, a, a person, but sure. the type of individual she's looking for pop up on her Facebook page.
1: Oh my God! From a dating site, it does.
0: It does. It does.
1: And that's creepy for her.
0: It's it's creepy. It's relevant, but yeah. it's creepy. So that's where you have to figure out. You know, at some point in time, it's it's well, I I don't think porn ads will ever get there, but if you you know your browsing behavior. Um, if you actually go to your Facebook page and what type of ads that you actually see will give you an indication of the types of places that you've been recently yeah. outside of Facebook.
1: Absolutely. 100%. Um, how was the experience about ri- of, of writing a book?
0: It wasn't that bad. We actually got it done within, I guess we started last May, mm-hmm. 2014. Yeah. And work through Christmas. We actually had it done. We had it done with all the uh, contributions in by November. And we were into full full editing the whole time that we were uh, doing this. Amy Tobin, my partner, was actually doing the editing. And then through Christmas, uh, and my husband hated me at this time because (laughs) we're going through the final edits, both Dan and I, um, in order to actually get it to design so that the design could get it into a pdf format that we can actually create into a book so we're going through so you self-published this yes we did wow yes and dan's done this a couple of times before so it was just a matter of finding someone that that actually had um experience actually putting together yeah you know the book and the design the jacket cover so a friend of mine did that and he's awesome paul ting
1: awesome that's amazing i'm I'm, i mean i'm in uh in awe of, uh, of, of all of this, you know, uh, being busy personally and then obviously just having your own business um, and, and, and building that and, and trying to generate awareness and be able to serve clients and, and, then, and then write a book and self-publish it. Um, that's fantastic. That is great stuff.
0: I'm actually surprised. I, I do sleep, though. I really do. <laughs> I mean, I don't look like it half the time, but I do. I do actually get eight hours of sleep, and I think a lot of it is motivation. If you love what you're doing, yeah.
1: Then if there's one thing in here that you would want someone to get out of the book, what would that be?
0: Well, the title says a lot of it. It's 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 about a, a evolution, mm-hmm. and it's about I think the the one thing that that needs to change very much everywhere is moving from any kind of product centric to a customer centric environment and that's really hard it requires huge dismantling because if you think about it you know even when i was at a bank we sold credit cards we sold mortgages etc mm-hmm. but we would always fumble and trip over each other because all of us were trying to sell a bunch of stuff to the same customer not realizing that sometimes there'd be duplication that's right. And so what you end up doing is losing the customer. These days, and everybody always thought, you know, once you open up a, an account at a, at a bank, you'll never lose that customer because it's too hard for them to, to switch. Right. But the more you piss them off that way... Um, the more that they can churn, and these days it's easy to transfer from one bank to another, uh, and and especially yes. m- with millennials, all you do is uh, you, you know th- they get pissed off so easily that they say, <laughs> okay, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do this anymore, and I'm gonna go to another bank. So there's a vulnerability in the business that people don't really understand customer, hmm. and the customer is now has now the largest biggest voice as you know social media is huge yeah Uh, everybody every company is vulnerable to reputation risk so if they do the basic thing and listen maybe they can retain um their customers better as opposed to try to sell them more stuff yeah and that's that's the premise of what we're we're talking about it's really the customer has to win because if the customer wins and everybody wins
1: I have one note here. I want to ask you about this. We're we're just over an hour. Okay. Um, But I I know you've got mentors. Yes. Business mentors and stuff. And and, uh, talk to me about the value of mentorship for you. It's huge.
0: I think part of it for me is being an entrepreneur for the first time in my life when Mm -hmm. I've always been an employee and, you know, uh, working for the man. And not realizing exactly how hard it is to be on my own and having to be kind of like the jack of all trades. Having a mentor that sees the world as it is and making sure that, that you know, your naive eyes um, don't, you know, change yeah. and, and become, you know, somewhat of a shark in a lot of ways, but, but really have your eyes open to, to what's possible, but also what, what could hinder you in business, Mm -hmm. um, is important because I, I went in, in this thinking, Hey, no big deal. I'm offering something that nobody else does. But the reality is, is that nobody listens to the small guy, a small guy in business who, who hasn't really proven herself. It doesn't matter if she wrote a book or whatever. I ha- don't have any proven case studies as a brand new business, so mm-hmm. how can I convince somebody to listen to me? And so the mentorship thing is very was very important. It continues to be because I need that level of transparency um, and honesty to to move me forward. And I'm constantly in this this state of change. Or nimbleness, so that I continue to move the business, change whatever needs to be changed, and and keep it going um, for the sake of not only survival, but sheer passion. Uh, and I will keep doing it until my husband makes me go back to work.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, I've got a I've got a quick. Um, Quick questions here, and you got to like give me snap answers. I'm not good at that. No, no, no. You have to. You have to. You have to be very, very okay. quick at this. Um, let me just. Just one more thing. I need to jot down here. Okay. Ready? Okay. Twitter or Facebook? Facebook. All right. Uh, Periscope or YouTube? YouTube. Uh, hockey or figure skating? Hockey. Oh, I won't tell your daughter that. Um. Boys or girls? Girls. I don't know why I wrote that down. I don't know either. Toronto or suburbs? Toronto. And yet you live out in Pickering.
0: I know. That's a, that was a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> Fatal flaw of mine.
1: Um, cello or piano? Cello. Interesting. Uh, and uh, finally, uh, being your own boss or being an employee?
0: Being my own boss.
1: All right. Awesome. Thank you so much, Hesse. Thank for you. For doing this, for coming in. All the way from out in the 905. Oh, my goodness. Uh, in the East End.
0: Yes. I, I I do have a 416 cell number, by the <laughs> way, just so you know. 647. Did
1: you like this? Was it good? It was great. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming in. Again, uh, this is uh, Hesse Jones. You can uh, follow her on Twitter, at Hesse Jones. Uh, you can also go uh, to www.evolvebook.net, uh, where you, I'm sure, can go buy the book there, or at uh, amazon.com. And again, my name is Kareem Kanji. Go to KareemKanji.com or at Karim Kanji on Twitter. Thank you, and we will talk with you guys again soon. Bye-bye.